This is the Power of Genetics podcast, the podcast designed to help visionary practitioners build a more successful practice, transform more lives, and lead their patients into the future of personalized health. In each episode, I'll interview successful practitioners and leading thought leaders who will share their insights and expertise to help you prepare your practice for what lies ahead. I'm your host, Dr. Yael Jaffe, and now let's get into today's episode. Today, our guest at The Power of Genetics is Dr. Joe Pizzorno. I am very, very excited to talk to Joe. I have met uh, once or twice at conferences, but mostly have been in the audience listening to Dr. Pizzorno um, teaching. And so this is a great opportunity for me to have 30 very precious minutes talking to Joe. But before I dive into some of my questions, I am going to ask you to introduce yourself so that I don't have to read out the very kind of stifled and, um, you know, uh, theoretical introduction to you. Maybe you can tell us about your work and about yourself, whatever you'd like to share. Well, thank you for inviting me to speak with you today, uh, Dr. Jaffe, and we'll go Yale for, for convenience here. You know, it's actually a good question, and people ask me that all the time. And my answer to them may be a little surprising. I say to them, I'm a healthcare change agent. So, you know, some people define themselves by their profession and define themselves by what they do. And I'd like to define myself by what I'm trying to accomplish. So I say healthcare change agent. What I mean by that is we've had a healthcare system for now almost 200 years has been dominated by one way of thinking about patients. And it's what might be called disease medicine. But if you look at the history of medicine, there's always been two distinct philosophies. One is the body is weak and is susceptible to disease and it's the victim. Roll the doctor is going and take control. Okay, there's a place for that. But there's the other side. And the other side is the person who is sick. And the other side says, the body has tremendous ability to heal and the role of the doctors understand, well, what's blocking that ability to heal and how can we remove those blockages and support the body's own innate healing processes. So that method, that perspective has been actively suppressed by conventional medicine for a very long period of time. If you look back uh, on the founding of the AMA, it was founded on some pretty interesting principles, some of which I think most people don't realize. One of those principles was to exclude everybody who had a natural medicine or health promotion perspective, to exclude women and exclude blacks. Okay, that's how the AMA started. Most people don't realize uh, that's how it started. Oh. So it's been very effective at suppressing what I would like to call health medicine. I've been trying to think for a long time, what do you call what, what I've been working on? And um, you know, it, it, it's been naturopathic medicine and holistic medicine and integrative medicine and full, uh, uh, functional medicine and environmental medicine and you know, ortho, orthomolecular medicine. There's been all these names. I've been yeah. trying to think about, well, how do you put them all together into like one convenient term? And I've been saying this idea of health medicine now for about 10 years. <clears throat> didn't catch on, didn't catch on. But I've noticed in the last year when I say health medicine, now people are saying, oh, that's kind of interesting. So that's what I'm doing. I've basically, maybe not consciously, devoted my life to promoting health medicine. Health medicine. Not, right. against, not against disease medicine. We need that too. No, no. Well, we need both, not just one. Well, I, I love that. Um, and I'll tell you why. So I'm going to share a little story of my own. 
and why I'm smiling so much um, <laughs> when you talk about health medicine. So I, um, quick, quick little story about my journey is I started off in architecture. I had no background in medicine or science, physics, chemistry, nothing. And my grand, they had a, a very, very bad uh, gastrointestinal cancer. By the time they opened her up, it was too late. They closed her up and they gave her a couple of months to die. And this is in 1987. Mm. So some time ago, terrible, terrible, terrible care, you know, both in how we communicated with her, how we managed her death, her pain management, but also in the, the, the most frustrating part for me, which is no one could tell me how this had happened ah. and, and, and until three months before. And no one could tell me how we would have prevented it. Um, so I was just, I had this like, this overwhelming like despair that this was the best that we could do. And she was, I only had one grandmother and I was very, very close mm. to her. So I left architecture <laughs> and I went off and I set off as on this kind of pilgrimage as we do to, and I wanted to study health. That was my mission is to study mm. health. So in 1987, I started looking for all the degrees that I could find on health. And what did I find? Nothing. I found nothing. I, and I'm, I was in South Africa at the time, every single university, I found food science, I found home economics. Of course, I found medicine and I found dietetics, but I never found health. And that was my dream to study health. So I chose the profession that for me came closest to what I thought health would be, which was dietetics. And it only took three weeks to realize that I had absolutely come to a place that had no conversation about health. That, that when I sat in my three weeks in, in a lecture and they said, if you have a patient in hospital, you can give them ice cream and chocolate cake because it's got calories and carbohydrates and protein. I knew that my pursuit of health was, was done. And, and, and that was actually stayed with me seven years. I'd finished my dietetics degree. I thought to change to medicine. Clearly I was a woman. <laughs> I, was, I wasn't going to qualify for that, but also I just knew that medicine wasn't going to offer that. And there was no natural medicine in South Africa. Probably there wasn't much in the States even at that time, there, but in South Africa. Little, there, there's a little bit there, not much. Little bit, right? 1987. And there was no conversation around naturopathy. So I think the only thing I could do was read the Optimal Nutrition Bible by Patrick Holford and get through my dietetics degrees. And it was only until, and in fact, I left the profession of dietitian of dietetics because I was so appalled by what was being taught and went traveling, looking for a, a, a new career and found myself back in nutrition in London and then discovered nutrigenomics. And of course, that was my journey to, which is not very different where we talk about how do we use nutrition to change the way genes can behave so that they can heal themselves. But I just wanted to share with you because actually from right. the day I decided to leave architecture, I was looking for health medicine. Yes. That's what I was looking for. Great. And if, and if so only, you know, we had been a couple of decades behind, I would have, I would have been very sad. So thank you on a personal level, you know, thank you for sharing that. So I want to talk a little bit about when you when you're working in a space that doesn't exist i mean this is we're talking about 1987 um, there's dietetics and there's medicine and there's no health medicine there's no naturopathy there's no natural medicine right. and yet when i look at the work that you've done and what you've accomplished you actually created a whole new world for health medicine 
and that what was what what I understand was called natural medicine. And not only that, you didn't only imagine what it could be, but you created a place where we could go study it. You created um, a field of rigor and science where we could uh, research it, we could capture it, we could study, we could get degrees in it. Can you tell me a little bit about how you go from having a dream about this better medicine, this health medicine, and land up being one of the founders of Bastyr University and seeing Bastyr grow from being this kind of small seed of this idea into one of the greatest natural medicine universities in the world? Well, thank you for a very kind compliment. Um, so I want to be very, very clear. I did, not, uh, I did not invent any of this. <laughs> but I think what I did was to say, well, there's so much suffering going on in the world that's unnecessary because the wisdom of natural medicine um, has not been, not only not adopted, uh, but it's been suppressed. And so I started looking at, well, what are the criteria that determine whether a, a body of knowledge can be acceptable? Well, you have to do research and you have to do, have modern textbooks and you have to have accredited education. So I said, okay, well, I'll tell you what, this whole field of natural medicine has a lot to offer. Let's do these foundational things. Let's create the foundation from which this medicine can go forward, which means you, you got to do it right. And there's also another problem that I saw that was keeping it back. And that was science um, with a capital S was the bludgeon used by the AMA to destroy all non-AMA sanctioned healing arts. And my background is in science. I said, wait a minute, nobody owns science. Science is just a way of looking at the world and doing things. And so I started bringing science into natural medicine. And I got a lot of resistance because again, science was used to suppress them. I said, no, science is a tool. And then I made a very clear statement to people. We do science not to prove ourselves to other people. We do science to get better. Now, a lot of doctors would then say, well, I, why do I need to do science? I know my patients get better. Then I look at them and say, you know, you're a really good person. And by the way, I say, you know, man or women, because there's always been a lot of women in natural medicine. Uh, I said, you know, you're a really good doctor. And being a good doctor and being able to stimulate within your patients their belief and their ability to get better strongly activates that healing process. So they're going to get better just by interacting with you. How do you know if the intervention you're using is helping? neutral or actually making them worse. You don't know unless you do research. So I said, we do research to get better so that what we're doing that doesn't work, well, we stop doing that. We do something different that does work. And that's how we get better. So by doing that kind of infusing bastard when I created it with this concept of science, it gave these um, early pioneers kind of a, a way of looking at the world that fully embraced natural medicine but also did it from a, an, a kind of objective perspective as well. So you have to do science and you have to do modern textbooks. So when I was in school, the most current book, textbook that we used in naturopathic medicine was written in the year I was born. So we have this huge challenge where we don't have modern textbooks. So, so now let's do a modern textbook. And fortuitously, we had a really smart young man by the name of Michael Murray, who was a student and in 1983, came to me and said, hey, let's do a textbook. It brings together all the modern research that supports these foundational concepts of naturopathic medicine. I said, what a great idea. So I managed to get him a little stipend. We worked together for two years. And in 1985, we produced a textbook of natural medicine. And that textbook of natural medicine 
created the scientific foundation, not just for naturopathic medicine, but for integrative medicine and functional medicine. Most people don't realize, we're now in the fifth edition, it's been translated into, I think, four languages at this point, and over 100,000 doctors have purchased the textbook, half of whom were MDs. So we, by, what we did is we created a scientific foundation for it. Then the next thing we needed to do was get accreditation because until this medicine was accredited, nobody's going to, going to take it seriously. So we went through the kind of standard process by which all college universities get accredited. So we put all three pieces together, research, modern textbooks, accreditation, and that thing gave us credibility so that when I went to school way back in 1970, early 70s, only six states licensed naturopathic doctors. Now we're at 23 states licensing naturopathic doctors. So I think that foundational concepts worked really, worked really well. I think it sounds like it's worked extremely well. And I, I have seen a parallel in, in nutrigenomics as well. You know, when I started 20 years ago and all my colleagues told me it was science fiction and fantasy <laughs> and that I, it was a career limiting move <laughs> um, and that there was no basis of science. And it's been the same journey, which is I keep on pivoting because I always realized something's missing. So I started off when genetic testing, realized you can't build genetic tests without educational foundation. So left that field to build educational courses, then pivoted, went to build a clinic to test whether what I was teaching was working. And then, mm. and I found that um, we're battling with a very similar experience, which is how do you find, how do you bring credibility to the science? How do you write the books? How do you get accreditation? Um, how do you upskill and train? So we haven't um, done it by, by quite the same way, but it's been the same challenge, which is mm. how do you take something that contributes to this health medicine and put it into a way that practitioners can trust um, and that it's based on science and based on research. So I really do appreciate um, the, the story. But what I mean, what I love about this too is, is that often I, I meet many practitioners and uh, obviously many, many dietitians in, in the work I'm doing. And whenever they tell me they studied at Bastyr, I always know the kind of dietitian I'm going to get, if that makes sense. Great. Great. So there's like every other university and then there's Bastyr dietitians. And it's just that lens mm -hmm. because it's the same content in so many ways, but it's the lens that they bring to the work that they do yes. that just feels so different. So I would love to hear, like, how do you, looking back mm -hmm. at your work there, looking back at Basir, looking back at the textbooks, where do you feel that you are in that journey? Because I know that it never stops. You know, you say six states, now you're 23 states. Where do you think the journey is? Good question. So the journey ends when we get to a more optimal healthcare system. Okay. <laughs> so I think that the, uh, the optimal healthcare system is composed of three parts. Number one is public health. You know, you know, you know the history of medicine, the greatest advances in human longevity came from public health, not, yeah, from, not, not from drugs. Okay. Right. It was basically saving babies from dying from infectious diseases. Okay. So, but when I think about public health, I take a much broader perspective. It's not just contagion control. How about public health that teaches farmers how to grow foods that are rich in nutrients and low in toxins? Okay, we, we can talk about that for hours. Okay, just I know. one topic. The toxin solution, Brian. The toxin <laughs> solution. There you go. Thank right. you. Anyway, so public health, which has a much broader perspective. And then the second part would be primary care. But primary care is health medicine. I don't mm -hmm. care who practices it. Okay. 
But realistically, as I look at what health medicine is, is a combination of today's naturopathic doctor plus a primary care um, family practice uh, MD skills, uh, plus some wisdom of Ayurvedic medicine and, and Chinese medicine and, and chiropractic and all these other forms of helping promote health. So we do this, we do primary care, which promotes health, not just diagnose and treat disease. Then you've got, okay, when things are so advanced, now you need this high level intervention. Fine, let's have that high level intervention, what we might call specialty medicine. So if we're doing all three of those appropriately and funding them appropriately, well then guess what? We have dramatically less disease and dramatically less need for all this expensive medicine. Most people don't, don't think about this, but for over hundred years now, we have decided as a, as a society to give all the money, all the resources, all the uh, accoutrements and, and, and you know, approbation to conventional medicine. What do we get out of it? Well, we got a lot of good things. You know, I'm a motorcycle rider, for example. If I get an accident, heaven forbid, take me to the emergency room. They do really well. But they don't do health very well. As a matter of fact, much of conventional medicine makes people less healthy. Not all of it, but a lot of it does. So we now suffer the highest burden of chronic disease in every age group ever in human history. So I would say that experiment didn't actually work out quite the way we expected. But don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. Conventional medicine does a lot of wonderful things, okay? But it's not a complete system. So what advice would you give? I mean, to, to so many, I mean, I know you're on the board of function, the IFM, Institute of Functional Medicine, and been very involved for a very long time. And whenever one. I, uh, from the beginning probably, and when I um, when I attend um, IFM conferences, which hasn't been for a while, unfortunately, mm. and they're surrounded by these amazing practitioners, and I've never seen more passion, more enthusiasm, more love for the work that they're doing, which is often driven by their own story or someone in their family or purpose and vision. What kind of advice do you want to give to them who's saying like there is a journey for you you can have that kind of impact what is the kind of story that you want to tell them that's actually a very good question and um i just we just had graduation of bastier last week mm -hmm. and actually i started in a way which is very different than i normally do and what i ask people to do is just kind of step back and remember why did you get involved in medicine well you want to heal people Okay, and you got frustrated with drug medicine because you realized while you're making people more comfortable, you actually weren't healing them. Okay, and so realize that the wonder of our health medicine by whatever name is, gives you the opportunity to actually cure your patients. And that's why we do it. And, uh, and you need a lot of tools to do that. Sometimes that tool is antibiotic, for example. Most of the time, it's actually getting nutrients into the person, get them out, and taking toxins out of people. I, I love quoting uh, uh, Sid Baker, who I think is one of the just a brilliant minds of medicine this last century. And Sid said, all the medicine is really quite simple. Get into each person what they uniquely need and get out of each, each person what they uniquely do not need. That's, that's it. It's right there. You know, people, people get this victim perspective. Well, my dad had cardiovascular disease. My mom died early from cancer. Therefore, it's genetic. Well, yes, but genetics only accounts for, as you know, 15% of disease. And even that 15%, that genetics can be defined as increased need for nutrients and, uh, and increased susceptibility to toxins. 
So deal with that. And that 15% gets a lot lower, my perspective. I would say at most it's really about 5%. Okay. So I mean, the rest of it is all under our control. So when you understand your genetics, that's not just for the disease of genetics, but it's everything else. When you understand your genetics, you understand what nutrients you have to be particularly careful to get into your body and what toxins you have to be extremely careful to avoid. Absolutely. I mean, you you kind of like a, a segue into my next question, which is understanding. Obviously, this is the Power of Genetics podcast. My work yes. is all in genetics. But I want to just connect with what you said, because I think it's really important that I connect kind of my work to what with, with what you said. And I love the and what you're really speaking about is personalized medicine, which is, you know, what do you need most of? What do you need least of? Um, you know, what is what is your story? What is your exposure? What is your history? And when we talk about family history as being genetics, genetics is insight. It's a piece of self-knowledge and nothing more. Excellent. You know, and, and I built a, a life around working in genetics. And the, the reason I love it is because it's a it's it's insight. It's let me understand myself a little bit more. Let me understand how I respond to my world around me a little bit more. Mm. Let me understand how I might process and metabolize toxins a little bit more, how many more nutrients I little bit. But the reason that the second part of it, which I really like, is by making the choices we make, those micro decisions, every decision 24-7, we are choosing nutrients or lifestyle behaviors that are going to impact our genome, how it switches on and switches off, which is ultimately what is going to heal ourselves. So it's that, so when I started off in dietetics and I knew something was so fundamentally wrong that you could plug a hole with a vitamin C supplement just didn't feel right. Now, when I understand that when you eat a certain food that's got these plant molecules in that can switch on either transcription factors or switch on genes, it's the genes that are making the enzymes that are healing our body. It is not the nutrient per se that plugs holes. So for me, it's been an interesting journey in genetics, which is do genetics to understand who we are and how we, how we respond but make our decisions around nutrition and diet and lifestyle to be able to optimize the way our genes behave, which is really with the power of healing. So I don't know if that makes sense in terms of kind of your perspective. Oh, absolutely. We're totally congruent. <laughs> oh, good. I'm so relieved. <laughs> I'd be horrified I, I, if I was I can, reco yeah. recording this and you were like, no, I disagree, Errol. I'm sorry, I disagree. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, one, one of the ways I, I try to communicate, commit, communicate that to people is to tell them our bodies are enzyme machines. Okay, and for those enzymes to work, you have to have the protein cofactor, which is determined by our genetics, and you've got to have the nutrient. I didn't say that quite right. You have the to have the uh, yeah, you have to have the the, the protein uh, apple enzyme, which is determined by our and by our genes, and then you have to have the cofactor for the enzyme to work properly, and you have to make sure there's not a metal chemical around that's poisoning that interfering enzyme. with that, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. and those okay. and those are the three elements, right? The cofactor, yep. the gene. And then make sure that the toxin's not destroying the process yes. inherently. Yes. Yeah. And when you start conceptualizing that way, it starts demystifying things. It all starts making sense. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, the, one of the issues around genetics is, is that people who might put it on a pedestal or think that it is an absolute answer or mm -hmm. think it gives up, it's not that. It's never yeah. been that. It's just one more tool that we give practitioners to be able to understand what we're working with and nothing more than that. You know, so so for me, even, you know, the work I do, it's like, this is information and we're gathering information and we're making decisions around our genetics to get the greatest optimal expression. 
I'm going to use health medicine. I think I'm going to, I'm going to use two things that I learned today from you. So the first is health medicine. I really love that. And the other one is enzyme machine. <laughs> I always talk about the engine, but, but um, I love enzyme machines. So I think, um, so um, we're almost done. I'm just going to, we'll finish off with one, one big question. Cause we like, we like big questions here, as you've noticed. So let's say the next 20 years I have, you don't strike me as someone who's going to be retiring anytime soon. You strike me as someone who's still got a huge amount to offer. We've still got to sort out healthcare and take it away from disease care. So what do you think really will be the, I mean, I know what we want it to be. We've mm. discussed some things of what we'd like to see happening. What do you think we are going to see happening in the future of medicine? That's a very good question. And I have to say my perspective has changed a bit over the last year with COVID-19. And the, the part which I, the reason I bring that up is as a society, we've kind of jumped onto this fear mentality that, oh, we're now the victim of this virus. And but people aren't thinking, well, wait a minute, the vast majority of people who get the virus either don't know they had it or throw it off without any trouble. It's only, I mean, of course, there always could be some people gonna get it, but in general, it's only the people who are sickest that's a problem for. But we've, we've bought into fear rather than buying into, well, our bodies have tremendous ability to heal. So, I don't know how much that's going to inhibit our ability to develop the right kind of healthcare system. And, and here's an example why that's so critical. So a research colleague of mine, by the name of Francesco Di Piero, uh, who has a research team in, in Italy that researches natural health products. And he just published two uh, studying papers. Uh, the first paper looked at people with early COVID-19, half got um, standard of care, half got standard of care plus quercetin thousand milligrams a day of liposomal quercetin. They then followed them. And what they found was 80% reduction in hospitalization, 8% reduction in length of hospitalization, no deaths in the quercetin group versus multiple deaths in the standard of care group. Well, that's pretty interesting. Why is quercetin so important? Well, quercetin is antiviral and quercetin is in a healthy plant-based diet. We've started eating a highly refined diet, particularly diet of foods grown chemically. Well, guess what? These antiviral bioflavonoids, and, and there are at least 100 of them that I'm aware of, they're, not, they're at much lower levels. So now, yes, you are more susceptible to things like viruses. So rather than being fearful and wearing masks and getting vaccinations, things like that, not saying they're not important for their role, but they're a poor substitute for making people healthier. So I think in many ways, the future of medicine is going to be defined by our ability to educate the public that health is in their control, not in the control of the virus and not in the control of dependent upon a medical industrial complex to create these interventions that are expensive and only good for one disease. Yeah. So, so not for the I, next virus, <laughs> the next virus, the next virus. No, I, I, yeah. I think that's our challenge as, as healthcare practitioners really is. is to, to get away from the fear and actually use the opportunity to, to really talk about immunoresilience and yes. these amazing kind of plant molecules that we all have access to every single day in our daily yes. lives. And so maybe we'll see the second coming of natural medicine or health medicine. I hope um, so. Let's hope so. Yeah. Joe, it's so, been so absolutely wonderful. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, I cut you off there. You're going to oh, add No, no I, I was just going to reinforce this statement. I I think before we can get the future of healthcare, we have to give people back 
belief in their ability to be healthy. It, it's yeah. scary what has happened to us as a society. Yeah. yeah. It feels like the big brother kind of paternalistic of, of health, yes. you know, that we've lost yes. the ability. Yeah. And that's yes. going to be a challenge for us. I mean, we're, we're the ones we have to, so to all the practitioners, health coaches, healthcare practitioners, all of them out there, we have to get the message out, you know. Yes. I've seen some beautiful conversations around resilience, and I think that's what we've got to be talking about. Great. Joe, thank you so much. It was lovely talking to you. I really enjoyed it. I could talk to you for much longer, um, but, but it really has been a delight, and I look forward to continuing to see the work that you do and, um, and following um, our journey in health medicine. I'll be following behind you. And again, you know, thank you so much. Well, and thank you for the work that you're doing. It's so important. Thank you so much. Thanks, Joe. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Power of Genetics podcast, brought to you by 3x4 Genetics. For more episodes, please visit 3x4genetics.com slash podcast. And if you are a licensed health practitioner who would like to apply to join our network, of over 1,000 like-minded visionary practitioners, please visit 3x4genetics.com slash apply.